Hi everyone, and welcome to Oscar Wilde, a podcast about film, always counting down to next year's Oscars. I'm Sophia Simonello. And I'm Nick Rocro. And today we have our first release roundup of the new season. We'll be going through some of the 2023 releases so far, basically covering what we missed during Oscar season when we had to go through all of those nominees in our contender series. So I'm excited to dig into these today. We'll talk about some highlights for us, some flops, and we'll also get into Bo is Afraid and some other movies coming out next month. Yeah, I feel like we've gotten a lot of movies so far this year and a lot that have done really well. So there is a lot to talk about and we can start by talking about the box office. I think things from where they are, I mean, quarter one had a 28% uptick compared to last year. So I feel like the box office itself by the end of the year might be where it was pre-pandemic, which I think is big. And we've been seeing a lot of movies hitting records lately specifically the Super Mario Brothers movie, which came out last week and held pretty strong through its second weekend. But there have been a lot of movies that have been bringing audiences to the theaters from all genres, really. Yeah, and I think what you said, too, about getting things back to pre-pandemic will be interesting because if you look ahead to the slate this summer, We have so many major movies coming from a variety of different genres. There's a lot of IP, so things like Mission Impossible, Dead Reckoning Part 1, the new Fast and Furious movie, and other Guardians of the Galaxy movies. So I think that the box office does definitely have potential to be really healthy. I can't believe I said IP and didn't mention Barbie, which is our most anticipated movie of the summer. It is, but we know that Greta Gerwig is going to do it like nobody else has done before. Correct. Let's get right into the good. So what are some highlights for you for the first part of the year? I think one more important thing is that a lot of these movies have been releasing in theaters. But I say that and one of my favorites from it was like one of the first releases of the year was Sick, which came out on Peacock. It was a Bloomhouse production and I felt like it was one of the better COVID films that we've gotten And it used the hysteria to its advantage in the horror genre. And the way that it ties into the killer's motive, I think, was really inventive in a way that wasn't like, oh, God, here we go. We're going to get a ton of COVID genre films now. So I feel like it was still fun and playful and played into the slasher genre and some of those tropes really well. So that was my main streaming release. But I also loved Scream 6, which came out. I think it held up to the franchise really well and how it played from Scream 5. And then just some others, Creed 3, loved Michael B. Jordan's directorial debut. And I saw Mafia Mama last night, which I think was just a hoot. Tony Collette took it there, and that is literally all I wanted from that movie. I need to see this immediately. Oh my God, I was supposed must. to go... I know. I was supposed to go, and then I ended up going to see Showing Up Again, but I know I really need to see it. It's gotten really mixed, I would say, polarizing reviews, so I'm curious to check it out. I mean, the Godfather font on the poster with Toni Collette is really all I need, and Monica Bellucci is in it, one of my queens. Uh, (laughs) They're like this fun little duo because she's in the family too, but they make plenty of Godfather references because Tony's character hasn't seen the movie. <laughs> but there are oranges everywhere. There's tomatoes squashed. Like, it's just so dumb. 
(laughs) (laughs) honestly the whole theater all like five of us were dying the whole time Oh, this is this is great. Okay, I definitely will see it then. And I saw Creed three too, and really liked it. I thought it was a really impressive directorial debut for Michael B. Jordan. I didn't love the way that it ended, but I think that's just how these sorts of franchise movies end. Now they just prepare you for the next one. But I did think it was it was a really fun movie and had me like on the edge of my seat the entire time and really emotionally invested. I did shed a tear. And Scream 6, I was I was mixed on this one. I wanted to like it more, I think because I live in New York and I wanted the New York location to be mm. utilized in better ways. Because when it was, like the scene in the bodega and the scene on the subway, those were mm-hmm. incredible. That was like peak horror movie making for me and I loved those scenes. But then the rest of it, I feel like just felt like it could have taken place anywhere like any town usa college campus they could have been back in woodsboro but i do feel i feel invested i think in this group of characters still and i will watch the next one like i'm not out on the franchise or anything i just wanted more new york in the movie yeah and them trying to change or revitalize like i think they called it the requel in the last film but the way they all survived was kind of lame because you saw one of the characters mutilated and they still survived and it was like okay great i mean he's hot but that was a little bit much (laughs) i know when i thought he was dead i was kind of sad because i was like oh i do want to i want to see him in more movies (laughs) (laughs) but yeah no and it does i feel like my thing with some of these types of movies is that I always get frustrated when they have to explain everything at the end, mm-hmm. like when they have to go through like what it all means to them and everything. And I just thought like, really, this is this is it. OK, but I think yeah. on the whole, it was enjoyable for sure. Yeah, I mean, you could totally tell that the Central Park scene was not Central Park and them having to drive not even 20 blocks. It went from day to night. And I'm like, OK, it's not that far. Like the top of the park is near 96th where Gail's apartment apparently was so things were a little bit too far-fetched but that's kind of what I wanted to play into and just let happen like it was still a fun reveal at the end and kept me guessing and I, I loved the final and I'm excited to see where it goes hopefully in the next couple years we'll get seven and who knows if that'll be the end or not so what were some of your highlights so far this year I have a really eclectic mix here of favorites. So my first is Kelly Reichert's film Showing Up with Michelle Williams, Hong Chow, Judd Hirsch. It's a phenomenal cast in, I think, what is just a signature Kelly Reichert film. I talked about it a bit last year with our New York Film Festival recap because it premiered there and I saw it there and just loved it, but it didn't really hit me how much I loved it until days later. So when it was released this spring, I thought, okay, I have to go see it again. And I took my sister, it was her first Kelly Reichert film, and she really loved it. So I, I was really happy about that. But yeah, it's it's one of those things where it's about the creation of art, the making of art, and it's it's about how your attitude changes, I think, towards creativity, towards passions and your job at later points in your life. There's 
a really interesting thing that happens in the movie where, you know, Michelle Williams, her character works at this art school. She works in administration there and she's planning for her ceramics show on the side. And all of the students there are just so exuberant and happy and they're thrilled to be making things. And everyone who's sort of in their 30s, 40s and above, they just seem like they're just doing it because they like it, but it's not the end all be all. And there's just a different attitude towards the creation of art. And it's just really, really unique. And it's something only Kelly Reichert, I think, could do. Hong Chow is also hilarious in the movie. She brings her great like deadpan sense of humor mm-hmm. that I think connects really well with Reichert's writing. And it's just beautifully shot. I, I just I love the the world of the movie too and the relationships between the characters. So I highly recommend checking it out. I still have yet to see that, but I know it's out right now. And I don't know if that's a wide release, but I really do need to get to that one. I think it just expanded. So I know it opened in New York and LA, but I think it just expanded wider. Um, it might only be in art house or independent cinemas, but um, it's it's expanded. So definitely Amazing. go see it if you can look it up in your area. And my other one is a film that Bennett brought up last year on our Venice TIFF Telluride recap, and mm-hmm. that's Other People's Children. When Bennett described this movie, I thought, okay, I'm probably going to like this. And I went to see it at Lincoln Center. There was a Q&A afterwards with Virginia Fira, who is also Benedetta, who's the star of this movie and the director, Rebecca Zlotowski. I loved this movie. I was just sitting in the theater so moved by it. It really feels like the cousin or the sister of the worst person in the world, just with a character who's a little bit older, and she is just kind of experiencing what it's like to be at that point in her life. She starts dating a man who has a daughter, a young daughter, and she is trying to figure out what that relationship is like and frederick wiseman has a great cameo in it as her gynecologist it's fantastic but i love the way that it explores intimacy the humor is great and i really do think that virginia fear will be my personal best actress winner of the year by the time the year ends i'm (laughs) willing to say that now she's wonderful i mean in a similar way that i loved renata reinsva in the worst person in the world this is i think it's similar to that Mm -hmm. performance but i mean some of the looks that she gives the camera you just think in a just world she would be nominated and would win an oscar because it's just that type of performance she's absolutely incredible and i will not stop singing this movie's praises i loved it and you feel like it's such a different performance than benedetta i mean i'm sure the subject matter is a 180 but her performance specifically yeah i mean it's much gentler it's quieter she has she's much more i think like introspective and you just see how she cares for people all around her in a way that benedetta might think that the people in her little convent do (laughs) but no she doesn't have the villainous streak that she does in benedetta but it really does show her range if you've seen her in that and then you watch Mm -hmm. other people's children i know it's out right now in new york and it's going to be i believe expanding like throughout the spring and summer here Um, and even if it just goes to vod check it out i promise it's a really really good watch Amazing. Yeah, I feel like it would be a great Criterion Channel release. Yeah, and my next two that I have are a bit 
funny, I would say, in comparison. I have these two, like, very introspective stories about women and their careers and being childless at a certain age and showing up in other people's children. And then I have John Wick Chapter 4 by Chad Stahelski. I loved this movie and it was my favorite theatrical experience of the year so far it was so fun it is a little bit like did you ever have like pixie sticks or candy when you were little that's just straight sugar Mm -hmm. that's what it feels like to watch this movie it sort of feels like you're on a sugar rush and then you kind of come down from it and you're like oh movies are not normally like this this was just a, a special kind of experience that was very over the top and sort of makes you sick because it's so colorful and there's so much action in it, but it's so good. And it's my favorite entry in the franchise so far. I'm not a big action movie person, as you know, but mm-hmm. this one was different. I just feel like the choreography was incredible. It's all focused on these different set pieces. So like we're at the Osaka Continental, we go to Berlin and there's this like fantastic nightclub scene. It's just really smart in how it utilizes locations. There's a sequence when they're on the steps of Le Sacre Coeur in Paris and it's just like, I can't even describe how amazing the stunt work is in this movie. Donnie Yen, Mm -hmm. I thought it was great. I'm going tonight. I'm just really excited to see Rina Sawayama because she also has a song in the film, but I'm ready. She's a highlight. Action star. My favorite scene of her. You'll know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm so ready. I feel like it fits with her persona so well. It really does. And then my last one. This is just a silly suggestion. Did you see 80 for Brady? I feel like it was one of your most anticipated for the year. It was. And it really really lived up to the hype it is like uncanny valley the movie the things that happen in this movie i can't even describe like yes jane fonda lily tomlin rita moreno and sally field go to the Mm -hmm. super bowl they meet tom brady they meet guy fieri when sally field is in a hot ones type of contest it is such a crazy movie but it is just pure fun if you need a movie Mm -hmm. to just go in turn your brain off and watch some of your favorite living legends on screen this is the one jane fonda's wigs are out of control and you can knock it out early because we know it's going to be an oscar nominee next year when diane warren's song gonna be you is nominated it's not about sports really it's about friendship right and i finally watched it and i loved it it was a lot oh my god you did yeah than i (laughs) thought it would be but it also makes so much sense like lily tomlin's character is going through this cancer diagnosis and rita moreno's character her late husband passed away the year prior so it has all of these emotional moments that really do fit the four of them so well but then on the other hand like they turn around and give these incredibly funny performances like yeah with sally field doing this whole bit with guy fieri and the the chicken wings challenge and she's just hungry and everyone else is dying and Jane Fonda writing these romance novels and flirting with these older football men like it it really is everything that you probably expected it to be and wanted it to be and then they get high on gummies like oh my god it it just goes there all the time there's just so much it's just it's just fun it's pure fun and Mm -hmm. it's not like you don't have to like Tom Brady or be a fan of the Patriots to like it. In fact, it makes him look really silly, I think, during the movie. It's a great time, yeah. 
And I wanted to mention one more, which some of these came out in 2022 at like festivals, but I saw this one in February and I would be remiss not to mention it. It's called Of an Age. And it was this really beautiful love story, coming of age story of sorts between this one guy and they're in Australia and he's in some dance competition and his partner is late slash hours away and lost and like went to a party so like they're not going to make the competition but she has her brother pick him up and he's gay he's in a relationship and it turns into this unassuming road film that really took me aback and I loved the cinematography work it reminded me of Wong Kar Wai films and just the conversations they have kind of take you by surprise and capture their feelings really well and the way the film was structured really took me by surprise too like by the end I was fully in it and crying and yeah really loved it so right now this one is streaming on Peacock and it's also available on VOD but yeah I would really recommend this one as well I haven't seen this yet but I will definitely check it out okay let's get into some flops some movies that we didn't like that came out this year to start M. Night Shyamalan's Knock at the Cabin. You and I are not the biggest fans of his movies. We'll just preface it Mm -hmm. by saying that because I know that he has a lot of fans and some people are really passionate about his movies. I only really like two of them, Signs and The Sixth Sense. Otherwise, just not for me. I understand why people like them, but this one, it was one of the longest movies I've seen this year in terms of how it felt sitting in the theater watching this. And I think that its problem, I mean, it has many problems for me, but one of the big problems was that it revealed itself within the first 10 minutes in what it was doing. And when Mm -hmm. a movie does that, I just, I can't get back on board. His movies have also become comedies. And I don't think that's what you want from what's supposed to be a horror film or a thriller. I get that you can have comedy, But you shouldn't be able to label it as one. And that's also my problem with them because they're just so egregiously unbelievable. And another thing that was interesting is this was a novel. So I read the description and he changed the plot quite drastically, especially from the ending. And I think it works on screen better this way. There's more hope to it in a sense. But I didn't really like the acting. I like Ben Aldridge now, now that he's in more features he was in spoiler alert last year but I felt like he had to overact and our thing with child actors like she was okay but her character was not great Jonathan Groff that was a tough performance too and I normally like him Mm -hmm. it was just when you have this happen it was a similar thing to when I watched don't look up I was like oh these are people I normally like that was a more egregious example you have people who you really like but they're suddenly not good in a movie like their performances aren't strong and I think you have to partially blame the direction in that case yeah I feel like it should have been a short film based on it feeling so dragged out into just having to give us an ending when nothing changed throughout the film like from the first kill nothing changed they just tried to have the characters believe it more and it didn't work for me so I don't think we've seen either of these but plain was the Gerard Butler film. Again, I cannot make any comments, but I feel like it came and went very quickly, along with the Idris Elba film Beast, which I also did not see. 
I didn't see that either, but I saw the posters for it everywhere around the city, but I didn't see it. Two films that, I don't know, I feel like could have had much better titles. Yeah. Sometimes, though, like, those types of titles are what people want. Like, you just want to know you're going to be on a plane in a movie. Yeah, I just saw this poster for a Christmas horror film coming out, I assume later this year, but it's called Knife. Like, right up my alley, I'll go see it. It has, like, Christmas lights around a cleaver. But I'm like, this could be Scream, right? So stay tuned for that. (laughs) Is that going to be in theaters, or is that on, like, Shutter? I think so. (laughs) (laughs) At this rate, I feel like it could make 50-plus million. Yeah. Uh, Horror usually does really well. Mm -hmm. We'll get to some horror examples from this year. But one movie that also had a really, really tough title that i went to see of course because i'm committed in my love for adam driver and uh-huh. that's 65 <laughs> <laughs> this <laughs> the plot made absolutely no sense at all he lives on another planet and mm-hmm. he has to go on this mission because if he goes on this job he'll get to save more money for his daughter who is played by the actress who plays lou in marry me yes because she has an illness and he wants to he wants to save her that's how it starts then his mission goes awry they crash land and the title card you see Mm -hmm. 65 and then text comes up that says million years ago what (laughs) so it's like adam is a human on earth 65 million years ago and has to fight off the dinosaurs oh my god to try to put their ship back together to get back to his home planet and there's only one other passenger who survived is this young girl and there's a better movie buried somewhere in there and that movie is called interstellar <laughs> <laughs> but i think the better question is how is adam adam looked great i think he belongs in these sorts of action movies but i personally will call this movie his vacation home feature where he's clearly mm-hmm. just banking these paychecks <laughs> to fund his rich person lifestyle <laughs> But I had a nice time. It's not a good movie by any means, but I wasn't bored. It's Uh really quick. Okay. It's less than two hours. It moves right along. Again, on a plot level, it does not make sense, but I had a good time. And then we just have to mention, because it finally came out in theaters, swept under the rug, like some of these others, The Sun, we got Florian Zeller's film. I mean, we've talked about it on here so much at this point that I don't know if any listeners have seen this and want to chat let's do it because there are just so many problems and it doesn't get better with time i think we might need to do the sun on after dark (laughs) like a live commentary kind of thing a watch along yeah it grossed a whopping 449.6 thousand dollars at the box office sony picture probably just took it out everywhere when they delayed it so long after award season and at that point i feel like it's not marketable to one specific kind of audience yeah it just i think it was one where the early reviews out of venice really Mm -hmm. really killed it and then as more people started to see it and realized like oh this is just as bad as everyone has been telling me i shouldn't see it then i think i think that had an effect on it a little bit like me to you but you were like wait now i have to see this (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say it had the opposite effect on me where I suddenly, a movie that I really didn't care about, suddenly was at Mm -hmm. the top of my list to see. (laughs) 
Okay, so let's get to the big one. So this Friday, it opens wide. It's had a limited release so far with Ari Aster introducing certain screenings and having Q&As, but this is his latest feature, Bo is Afraid. Where do we start? Um, so I saw this movie at an April Fool's Day screening at Alamo Drafthouse, which was very fun. I got tickets to go see the director's cut of Midsommar, and Ari Aster and Joaquin Phoenix came out to the front of the screening at the beginning, and they said, surprise, April Fool's, it's Bo is Afraid. You're going to watch the new movie. So that's what we watched instead, and it's an experience, I would say. I think there are things about this movie that I'm very, very positive on that I think are incredibly accomplished and some of his best work yet, and at the same time, I can confidently say that I will never watch this movie again. Yeah, I was in my theater, assumed the movie was almost over, and some guy in the row in front of me was on his phone, like, probably the second half of the film. And thank God his brightness was down. But I saw the time and I was like, wait, you're kidding me. We have over an hour left. So it drags. Like, it's a long movie and so is Midsommar. So are plenty of other films that I don't really feel that length with. But this dragged. I think one of the things that I tried to do with this movie in particular was think, okay... How can I evaluate this movie based on how it accomplished Ari Aster's goals? And evaluating mm-hmm. it that way, he did an incredible job because this movie makes you feel like you are having a panic attack for three hours. I'm not kidding. Like, I, I'm saying all of this now, and I think we're saying all this now just to let listeners know. Like, you, you might read positive comments on this movie, including mine. You might hear people say things about this movie, about how it does things that Ari Aster has never accomplished in his career before. The performances are great. You might hear things like that. And those things, I think, can all be true. But at the same time, what makes the movie, I think, stand apart and feel different than his other two features is that you. I have never felt or seen, I guess, a better example of intrusive thoughts and anxiety manifested on screen and it's a lot to be in that character's headspace for three hours so while Mm -hmm. I think it's very accomplished in that way it's very difficult and it's it's not a movie that I would call enjoyable and it is fun Mm -hmm. and funny at times but I also I'm curious because I know we were texting a little bit about this but It was funny to watch it because I laughed at parts when no one else was laughing. And when everyone else was laughing, I was not laughing. So my my sense of humor, I feel like, didn't really align with that of the crowd, which I'm very used to, honestly, when I see movies. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's it's definitely an experience. And you're talking about the length, too. So for three hours, you follow Bo, the walking Phoenix character, who is just... Like Ari Aster says, he's a loser. He wants to put you in the experience of being a loser. And that can sound appealing to you or it can sound like the worst thing in the world. And for the first part, you get to see like where he lives and he has this upcoming trip to go see his mom that he's really stressing out about. And I did like the beginning and how you see his city and like where he lives. I thought the production design was really cool. It has 
a lot of sight gags to it. It's really visually appealing, very modern. It's sort of unlike anything I've ever seen before. And then it just, you go through all of these different, it's sort of like an, it's an odyssey for his characters. You're going through entering all of these different set pieces as he interacts with different characters on his way back home to his mother's funeral at this point because you learn that in typical Ari Aster fashion she died because she was decapitated by a chandelier yeah and the way he splits up the movie is interesting you really just don't know what you're getting yourself into because in that beginning it's a very specific vision and you're trying to figure out is this real what's happening is this in his head what version of reality is this because he's also seeing a therapist played by the wonderful Stephen McKinley Henderson and he's giving him a new medication to take and that could alter how he and we see things it was funny because like it was so noisy and there's so much happening and my heart was just going for at least half of this movie and I just I don't need that but I was like wow he lives in Bushwick he really does (laughs) So I think that's part of the reason why I liked the beginning is because I was like, I know what it feels like to live in a place that feels like this. Just so chaotic. Completely chaotic. Every adventure outside, even if it's just across the street to get a bottle of water, mm-hmm. you never know what's going to happen. You don't know what you're going to see. So I did find that very relatable. And I can relate to laughing at random moments too. And I think some of it is just from the design, which I found absolutely stunning not only the frames like in the beginning there's just a static shot of a door and i'm like okay this is ari aster but also in how he designs the world and uses more of like a theater set for like the third or fourth act i split this up into five acts in my head and i'm like oh boy it really is an odyssey and that was the most frustrating thing for me is like ari aster really is a visionary but i'm not enjoying this story or how it's being told at all like the middle third to me was a mess is this the amy ryan nathan lane part or the forest well so it's the amy ryan part plus the forest (laughs) (laughs) and then it gets into the play before we make it to his house and finally by the end you're starting to understand why these things are happening or why Ari Aster told the story in this way to bring some of those moments back in the end to again make you question how you're seeing things. But one of the moments that I laughed at was when he's staying in the daughter's bedroom of the Amy Ryan, Nathan Lane house is that there was a Confessions of a Teenage Llama Queen poster on the wall. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I laughed at this too. (laughs) And we we just mentioned oh the Lohan filmography on our Freaky Friday After Dark episode. So that was fun. Very random. But kind of also ties into Joaquin's character and Bo and how we see him throughout his life and in different realities. Yeah, it it's kind of how I felt during Bardo and Don't Worry Darling last year of like, I understand the art and the vision and what they're trying to do, but I'm not connecting with it like at all. Yeah, and I think some of the difficulty comes from, and the more I think about the movie sort of after seeing it, and because at this point I saw it a few weeks ago, you know, thinking about it more, the film itself almost feels more interested in the world of the character than of the character itself, which I think can be a very alienating choice 
because mm-hmm. if you're so wrapped up in the construct and you're so wrapped up in that world which is just it's beautiful like i i love the production design by fiona crombie mm-hmm. like she it's the type of work that should be nominated for and winning awards i thought it was just stunning in how it was designed to again like show all of his intrusive thoughts on screen and how they play out for him but at the same time i think it's it's easy to admire those things but the more i think about the character i watched this movie and i didn't really find myself caring about this character at all the more i think about it mm-hmm. and that i think is that's difficult when you're in a character's head for 3 hours and then somehow you still are not really caring about the character I think a lot of the choices that he uses, the references to other films are really fascinating, like A Matter of Life and Death, which we just saw. I love the reference to Psycho near the beginning. I love what I would consider a reference to Carrie in Zoe Lister-Jones' performance. It felt very akin to Piper Laurie for me. I love those things and its exploration of toxic relationships with mothers and sons. Yeah, at the end, I was like, is this his apology to his mother, like a love letter to her? There's just so much happening. And I think as you're explaining it, it's like he tried to fit too much into one movie that there is so much to talk about. And I think it makes sense to him and how he's navigated his own life and relationship with his mom. But I think for most audiences, not that people don't have those complex relationships with their family either but i think it's just too much to put in one movie and again it's not the runtime it's just the material i think that's that's fair too i really do love though the sequence in the middle the animated sequence Mm -hmm. done by the animators of the wolf house which you might remember me talking about that in our first season but I, i really liked that and i thought like that could be its own short film right like a story like that that's this it just it felt like a folk tale or a fairy tale and it was just so spooky and so beautifully designed i loved that this section it's funny you didn't like the middle because i liked the middle i had trouble with the ending specifically with like the monster in the attic and when all that's going on that was a lot no i totally agree about that there are absurdist elements which i just didn't connect to the balls of everything i'm just like okay, I get it in the story, but like, we didn't need this. We didn't need the monster. We, the, the attic thing is referenced throughout the film, but it wasn't the, the climax or the twist, I guess, that I wanted it to be or expected it to be. I mean, the needle drop is great. It's the needle drop is incredible. (laughs) Yes. I said this and I will say it again. That scene is the most effective form of birth control in a movie that I have seen since It Follows. <laughs> I think, though, yeah, as a whole, like, I did really like a lot of the symbolism in it. I like how water is used and how, like, that connection to motherhood is sort of used as this through line in the movie. And in relation to his fears about his mother and his fears about sex and how those are combined. I don't know. I think there's a lot of magical realism in it. Mm-hmm. It's it's a very tough watch. How Aster accomplishes his goal is really incredible. It's something I've never seen on screen before, and it's something that I feel is more accomplished in a visionary sense than Hereditary or Midsommar, which those two movies I do prefer on a watchability side of things. But I feel like this feels like the movie that he has really wanted to make the entire time because it feels I think much more 
original in a way, even though you can see his references clearly on screen, like Charlie Kaufman, mm-hmm. Albert Brooks, Powell and Pressburger. It's just not clean. That's the hard part. It's a, it's a movie with a lot of threads that doesn't come together in a standard way. You have to really surrender to the experience and then and let yourself, I think, feel that experience. And that is a tough sell, mm-hmm. especially for three hours. But I think overall, too, we mentioned the production design. The performances are great. I thought Joaquin, it's one of his best performances. It is just all out, mm-hmm. emotionally naked. But my favorite performance in the movie is Patti Lapone. I won't say how she comes about, yeah. but... She needs to be in more movies. She really does steal the show. It's phenomenal to watch her and Joaquin together, but I still think in those moments, it's Patty's show. She really did deliver. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, and everybody did. I think it'll just take some Q&As to listen to Ari talk and kind of just sitting on the film and thinking about it more. I do like how you follow the symbols throughout the movie, especially like water or being in a boat and just how the mothers either relate or differ. But then even it was funny, like in the forest part, I noticed a Midsommar symbol. And so the way he's kind of melding his own filmography now and giving us tidbits from previous works, I think is fun too in a filmmaker sense. But he really is a man of the cinema I think for this one, we can ask, if you could give this movie one Oscar, what would it be? Mine would be production design. There are frames that, you know, may not stick with me like the Tree of Life, but when I'm watching it, it's like, holy crap, he can design a film. And Fiona's work, just phenomenal. I hope they work together again in the future. Because, yeah, it's hard to say that I would ever watch this again, but I would love to see some of the shots. Yeah, it's beautiful. What would you give it? I would also give it production design for Fiona Crombie. Patti Lapone would be a close second for supporting actress. But yeah, the production design just taking through taking you through these different worlds, whether it's that opening chaotic neighborhood that he lives in, or it's Amy Ryan and Nathan Lane's character's house, which feels like this sort of poisonous American suburbia to the theater troupe in the forest, to his home. It's just, there's so much of it there. And it's just so smartly designed. And it's fun, too. It's playful. It's fun to look at. And I think it's it's fantastic work. Okay. And then just some others that have come out recently. I don't know if you've seen any of these, but some on streamers. We had Sharper come out on Apple TV+. Plus. That was with Julianne Moore. I do really want to see this. There's Your Place or Mine on Netflix. Shotgun Wedding. This is on Amazon Prime. We have Boston Strangler on Hulu. Tetris also on Apple and Peter Pan and Wendy on Disney Plus. So I've seen a few of these actually. I need to watch Sharper still. Your Place or Mine, I think, is one of the worst movies I've seen this year. Mm-hmm. Sadly, it's a Netflix rom com with Ashton Kutcher and Reese Witherspoon. And it's a FaceTime movie. So a lot of the movie like they live oh. in different locations. They have no chemistry. But this is a minor Minor thing for me, the movie takes place in 2003, and it opens with a very popular song, Gwen Stefani's The Sweet Escape, which came out in 2006. And from that moment on, I just was sort of off the train. It just looks like fake New York. It's like this Netflix movie made in a lab. But Shotgun Wedding is actually worse. I tried to watch that one for our commitment to our beloved J-Lo, but I I couldn't continue. (laughs) 
Boston Strangler isn't bad. Carrie Coon and Kira Knightley mm-hmm. are in this. It's just an easy, like, crime procedural thriller feel to it. It's kind of like if David Fincher didn't make Zodiac. That's sort of the <laughs> that's feel how it of looks. it. They're very much going for the look of Zodiac, but it doesn't have any of the bite to it. But if you're looking for a good, just easy crime thriller, I think it's an easy one to throw on for sure. And Carrie Coon is really good in it. We love her. I do need to see them. And just another Hulu film that came out was Rye Lane. Oh, yeah. I still need to watch this. I've heard really, really good things about Mm -hmm. this. People were very positive on it. I started it the other night and it is a really unique vision and a play on the rom-com. So I really like where this is going. I need to finish it. And then some that that were released in theaters, we had Missing, Magic Mike's Last Dance, Moving On, A Good Person, A Thousand and One, The Super Mario Brothers Movie, How to Blow Up a Pipeline, Renfield, The Pope's Exorcist, Emily. Have you seen any of these? Have you liked any of these? So I saw the Super Mario Brothers movie and How to Blow Up a Pipeline. I think with Super Mario Brothers, audiences are loving this. It's already at the number one in the box office for the year. So I think what it accomplishes, it brings up all of the lore from the games, which is really all I wanted. The story is flimsy, and if you're making a film about a world and promoting a theme park attraction, it does what it needed to do. The voice work actually didn't bother me like I expected it to. We have Chris Pratt, Anya Taylor-Joy, Jack Black in some of the lead characters. But I think there's a big chance that this comes up later in the year and we could even maybe see this in animated feature at the Oscars. It's a big year for animated features, so it'll be interesting if this comes back. But the post-post-credit scene teases a sequel. So I think there will be more in this universe for us. Thank you for seeing that. I have not seen it yet. Um, <laughs> but I don't. I didn't really have a relationship with the games growing up we didn't have video games growing up that makes me sound weird like I just I sat in my room all day and read books but we really didn't so anyway so I didn't I didn't see it I saw how to blow up a pipeline which I feel like is sort of the it's a modern sort of socio-political thriller it's definitely indebted to William Friedkin and his work I feel like they definitely watched Friedkin movies maybe like Sorcerer or French Connection before making this I didn't love all of the performances, but overall I did really enjoy it and thought it was a really, really smart movie. I also saw Missing, which is sort of the follow-up to Searching. Mm-hmm. It's filmed in a similar style. And is it groundbreaking cinema? No. But did I have a good time watching it? Yeah. It really does suck you into it and you get really invested in the story, even if it does feel silly at times. And then Magic Mike's Last Dance. It is very different than Magic Mike and Magic Mike XXL. It's probably my least favorite of the franchise, but I did enjoy it. I think Selma Hayek really gives her all. She's great casting, and she is just wonderful in how she plays off of Channing Tatum. Her character is this like rich woman who lives in London who meets him in Miami, and then she convinces him to go with her to London because she... Yeah, to put on a show. (laughs) This is a lot for a Magic Mike film. It is. And it's much more of a dance movie than a stripper movie. Hmm. Then that I have to... I do want to give that caveat because I think if you go in and you expect to see Joe Manganiello on stage, 
without clothes on, you're going to be disappointed mm. um, because that's not what happens. It's a movie about dancers and about Mike putting on this show at this oh, theater in London. It's very funny. It's like a one night only West End <laughs> dance show. Channing Tatum, movie star. I was excited to see him in this and I do think he's great. And yeah, so I think if you go into it expecting what you saw in the first two movies, you might be a little disappointed. You might not love it, I would say, as much as the first two. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. I, th- I thought it was it was fun and Steven Soderbergh definitely had a lot of fun with it. It opens with an ode to the Nicole Kidman AMC ad. I'm not even kidding. <laughs> what? Yeah. Uh, I wanted to see it because he's directing again, but a lot of that story, I mean, you kind of go into a Magic Mike movie wanting Magic Mike, and it sounds like you don't really get that fully, which is disappointing. There are two dances that he does that are really just pure cinema, but (laughs) I wanted more of those, definitely, for sure. So some more movies that are out. Last week, we had Chevalier, Friday Come Out Wide as well, Evil Dead Rise... Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, and The Covenant. And then Somewhere in Queens, which is this Ray Romano, Laurie Metcalf film that I haven't heard a single thing Mm -hmm. about. Yeah, I think it premiered at Middleburg last fall. Okay. But I haven't heard anything about it since. But I'll definitely check it out. Mm -hmm. I like both of them. And then Carmen, the film adaptation of the opera with Paul Meskel and Melissa Barrera. I'm excited to see this. I've heard some good things about its design and how it works as a film directed by natalie portman's husband and then opening today we have polite society the hit from sundance so i'm really excited to see that one and then big george foreman the miraculous story of the ones and future heavyweight champion of the world and sisu so definitely lots of films to see out in theaters and then even some more in may that i think are really starting the blockbuster big summer movies yeah so coming in may we have guardians of the galaxy volume three book club the next chapter which i'm very excited for Mm -hmm. the mother which is the jennifer lopez action movie on netflix hypnotic fast 10 master gardener the paul schrader film the little mermaid which i'm so curious about i have to say and you hurt my feelings which is one of my most anticipated movies of the year the nicole hall of center movie with Julia Louis-Dreyfus. And next time on Oscar Wilde, we have a very, very special episode. We will be celebrating the start of a new month, May Dunaway. This is a celebration of one of my favorite actresses of all time, Faye Dunaway. Thank you to one of our listeners, The Futurist, for this suggestion. We will be talking about a few of her movies. So we'll be talking about Bonnie and Clyde, which was her first Oscar nomination. And then a movie that I think she should have won an Oscar for, Puzzle of a Downfall Child. And then we will also be talking about a third movie, which will be a listener's choice. I know you love Faye, and next year we'll talk about Chinatown. We talked about Network previously and her work there, so I'm excited to dive into more of her filmography this month. But this was fun talking about all of these movies so far this year. Like on previous seasons, we'll be doing multiple of these release roundups throughout the year to talk about the big releases and to see if any of these films can make it to award season and have Oscar potential. But thank you all for listening. If you like our show, feel free to rate, review, and follow. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Oscar Wild Pod. 
and bonus content and bonus series on patreon.com slash Oscar Wilde, including an episode soon on some more Faye Dunaway features. And we'll have an episode out soon on Viola Davis, who we did an episode on previously. And we'll be talking about Widows and Disturbia. So check those out. Thank you all for listening. And let us know if you see Bo is Afraid. We'll see you next time. Thank you.